King. If you don't know me, uh, I'd love to uh, get to know you. Uh, I just have the privilege of being the worship and student pastor um, on staff here, and it's spring break, so that means the youth pastor preached, which is a universal rule in all churches everywhere. It's kind of a joke. You should have laughed at that. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, people. We're all family here, so please just laugh when I make a joke. Um, I appreciate that. Um, so we're starting a new series this morning. Um, we just finished a series on marriage, and um, we're starting a new one this morning titled Conversations, Why Evangelism Still Matters Today. And um, we're just super excited about this series, um, just in the planning uh, stages of this series and, and um, planning out the sermons. Um, just really excited. I feel like leading up to Easter, especially as Trenton mentioned, is just a, a great opportunity in our culture to engage with our city and engage with people who are uh, who have Jesus, who have never experienced the love of God. They may have experienced uh, religion, they may have experienced um, doing things to try to earn God's approval, but they've never experienced the love of Jesus. So this is a special season for us, and I'm excited we're talking about evangelism. So um, one thing that is like the cornerstone of this series, if you had to think of this series and you had to think like, so what's the main point? Um, the main point is that mission, evangelism, is the natural overflow of being a gospel-centered church. We talk a lot about gospel centrality, and it's very important. The natural overflow of being gospel-centered is mission, is evangelism, is sharing, is overflowing, or as Paul says, as we'll look out later, is testifying to the good news, the good news being Jesus. So this morning, we're going to start answering the question of why evangelism still matters today. The title of this message would be, Because He Loved Us First. That's an answer to that question. So turn with me to 1 John 4. We're going to look at verse 7 through 19. And while you're turning, if you can, won't you stand with me as we read God's word. Again, that's 1 John 4, 7 through 19. And it says this. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us. Because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us. So that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love 
because he first loved us. Let's pray. Father, just thank you for um, thank you for this truth. Um, I thank you for this foundation of the gospel, this foundation of evangelism, that you loved us first, that for us to love, we must abide in you, we must rest in you. Father, it's, it's not enough just to have a burden for our city and the brokenness. We have to have something to give our city. We have to have something that will heal the brokenness. And Father, you are the healer of all brokenness. You are the light that shines in the darkness. So Father, I just pray this morning that you would illuminate your word, that your spirit would speak to us. Father, you'd help me to teach these people um, that I love, this church, that you have called to be a light, a shining city on the hill. Father, we just rest in you, we abide in you, because you loved us first. We ask this in Christ's name, amen. Y'all can be seated. So um, as we look at this text, you might think this text is an odd choice to talk about evangelism, but I feel like before we start talking about the what of evangelism and the how of evangelism, um, it's important that we understand the why. It's important that we understand why we share our faith. It's important that we understand the source behind sharing our faith. Because I think a lot of us have seen, I've definitely seen, what can go wrong with the idea of sharing your faith when you don't have a clear understanding of the source behind sharing your faith. You, you can see a lot of perversions of the gospel in that. I remember, uh, spring break, so the story comes to mind, but I remember... Um, I remember going to Panama City Beach in college um, on a um, mission trip, and we would um, we would go down and we would serve pancake breakfast to spring breakers at like 11 a.m. because that's when they all got up, um, and we would uh, give them uh, rides at night, and we would share the gospel with them through that avenue, and we would minister to them. And uh, one of the things I remember the most about that experience because um, it was my first time seeing spring break and all of its glory in Panama City. Um, and one of the things I remember the most vividly was everywhere we went, there were street preachers that were standing on, you know, little boxes. And almost without fail, every one of them had one message, and it was, um, you're all going to hell, and God hates you, and that was it. Um, there was very little about Jesus or about good news. And I think, when I think about this text, and I think about God's love being the source of evangelism, that's the kind of perversion I'm thinking of when I think of what can go wrong when you don't start with the good news, when you don't testify to the good news of God's grace. So there are three main points that we see in our text to write off. So if you're taking notes, these would be good to write down. Um, verse 7, we see, let us love one another. It says, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. So it follows from that. The next thing we see in our text is that God is love, Okay. Um, kind of like a no-brainer to most people in the room, I would hope. Um, verse 8 says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And then finally, the third thing we see in our text is that we can love because he first loved us. Verse 19 says, we love because he first loved us. So these three ideas in our text are going to underpin and they're going to be the source of what we talk about when we come to evangelism. They're an underpinning ideas of the gospel that... Um, we should love one another, that's a command, but the reason we can do that is because of a gospel declaration that we'll talk about later, that God loved us first. So when we talk about evangelism, we have to keep this in mind. 
So also, if you're taking notes, uh, this is going to be the first big point, first big idea. It's going to be on the screen as well. It's that God's love is the source of true evangelism. So we have to start there. Like I said, if we don't start there, there's a lot of other sources we can have for evangelism. We can have the source of duty. Uh, I need to do this. I'm going to work myself up. I'm going to do this. We can have the source of earning, where like if I share the gospel five times this week, um, my life's going to be good because God's going to bless that. Um, and uh, there's a lot of different sources we can have, but the, true, the truth is that God's love is the source of true evangelism. Because to share our faith, we have to share something that will change people's lives that matters. So our text says, God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. So love is not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent his son. The good news of the gospel. So without God's love, we have nothing to share, nothing to witness, nothing to meet brokenness with. So when we talk about true evangelism, our source is unequivocally found in the love of God that's been poured out for us. So we're going to talk about what it means to evangelize in subsequent sermons. But um, for now, I think a good definition of what it means to evangelize, to share your faith, is what Paul gives us in Acts 20 as, as a mission of his life. In Acts 20, 24, it says this. He says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus gave me. The task of this, testifying to the good news of God's grace. You hear that? Testifying to the good news of God's grace. Um, growing up, I would always hear evangelism in the terms of witnessing. I'm going to witness to somebody. And that became vernacular for me, so I never really kind of thought about it for a long period of my life. And then I sat back and I thought about it, and I realized... When we're saying we're witnessing to some, we're witnessing something. We're witnessing someone. You can't witness something that you haven't seen. You can't witness something that you haven't experienced. What we're testifying or witnessing about is the good news of God's grace. Grace. So the act of evangelism is testifying, making ourselves the mouthpieces about the good news of God's grace, Jesus. So the foundation is that Jesus is good news. What about Jesus is good news. His birth is good news. His life is good news. His death is good news. His resurrection is good news. And his ascension is good news. Everything about Jesus is good news for us. This is how God first loved us. And this good news is the source and the content of what we're testifying about. So we have to testify about something. And in order to testify about God's grace, we must experience that grace ourselves and be living it. So we're going to talk about abiding in Jesus. We've talked about this at length. If you weren't here for our Pathways series where we talked about being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing the work Jesus did, I highly encourage you just to hop on the website and to revisit those messages because being with Jesus is the foundation of becoming like Jesus and doing the works that Jesus did. You can't have the cart before the horse. You have to be with Jesus to testify about Jesus. If you're testifying about something, it's like if you're in a courtroom and they ask you to testify about something and you're just making stuff up because you've never actually seen what they're talking about. You have to be with Jesus to testify about him. So the more we abide with Christ, the more we fill ourselves with his love and power to overflow into the lives of others around us. Okay? 
It's when we try to separate parts of this text, we run into trouble. We create a works-based evangelism that's not sourced in God's love and the good news and as the person of Jesus. So there's an important distinction, and Chad hit on this a couple sermons ago, I believe, but there's an important distinction when we start talking about commands, when we start talking about declarations. And the words um, he used and a lot of people use is called biblical imperatives and indicatives. So we're going to look at that for a moment. This is an important distinction uh, in evangelism between a biblical imperative and a biblical indicative. So another way to look at this is in terms of um, gospel commands and gospel declarations. Okay, So here's an example. Okay, um, If you're like me and you first heard that and you're like, what does that mean? Is it my in grammar school again? Um, let me give you an example. So let's say I went up to Trenton. Hey, Trenton. Happy birthday. Um, let's say I went up to Trenton and I said, hey, man, um, I need you to build a playbook. And let's say just for our planning's sake, Trenton had no idea how to build a playbook. I'm sure he does. But let's say he had no idea how to build a table. I said, okay, here's a, here's a job for you to do, Trenton. I want you to build a table. And I told him he needed to build a table. And maybe I even told him how to build a table. But I didn't give him any of the tools to build the table. Okay? Would he be able to build that table? No. It, would it be frustrating for him to try to build that table without any of the tools to do it? Okay? Well, what if I did the opposite? What if I gave him... Um, a bunch of tools. I gave him a table saw and I gave him a, a planer and a whole bunch of other really complex woodworking tools and I just said, here you go, and then walked away. Would he be able to build the table? No. So these things have to work together, okay? So we can't separate gospel commands from gospel declarations. So let's look how this looks in our text. In our text below, we see both declarations and commands, both imperatives and indicatives. Let's read in verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Okay, so let's look at verse 11. We ought to love one another. What is that? That's a command, right? We ought to do that. We ought to love one another. God sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And if God so loved us, those are gospel declarations. Okay, Those are the things that give us the power to love one another, to love other people. So the thing is, is that if we, if we separate those things, we get into a lot of trouble. So let's look at this. Um, in, my, in my growing up in context, in evangelism, in our context, especially in the South, in the Bible Belt, a lot of what we want to do with evangelism, evangelism is build a table without any tools. So we know how to build the table. We know what we need to do. But we try to do that without any tools. And it can be extremely frustrating. So let's look at the Great Commission. So in the Great Commission, time and time again, I hear um, go into the earth, make disciples. The whole part of the Great Commission. But so many times in sermons and teachings, I, I, they leave out the last part. Does anybody know what the last part is of the Great Commission? What's the last thing that Jesus says? For I am with you. Okay? So many times I've heard that, and I've heard the command, but I've never heard that declaration at the end. For, therefore, because I am with you. All of this command happens because he's with you. Because he sends his spirit to empower you. 
So if you try to do that command, you try to work out the Great Commission apart from the true vine, Jesus, it's not going to work. It's going to lead to a lot of destruction and a lot of problems. So the truth is, we must pair the command to testify of the good news of Jesus with the declaration of that good news in our own souls that empowers us to teach, to speak, to celebrate, and to live out the gospel. So the thing is, if we have never experienced God's love, we have nothing to offer to others. I'm going to say that a lot. Nothing to pour out on the dry ground of the mission field. So this is the essential, essential part of this first point. It is essential that we rest in God's love for us, that we spend time being with Jesus so that we may be filled with the gospel to pour out in mission. It's essential that we spend time resting in the gospel's declarations over our lives, declarations over our brokenness, over our fears, as we sang this morning, that I'm no longer a slave to fear, but I'm a child of God, that we rest in that declaration and that fills up the cup of our lives until it overflows in the command to go and to make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, because I am with you always, even until the end of the age. That is our mission, and we have to have that as the source. God's love is the source of evangelism. So as we go through this sermon series, as we talk about why evangelism matters, how can we share the gospel, who should we share the gospel with, where should we, should we see to meet the burden in our city, we have to start there. The second point is that evangelism brings more than intellectual persuasion, brings spiritual regeneration. This is important, important distinction because it's, it's easy to approach sharing, your, sharing the gospel the same way we approach dinnertime political debates with our family. Has anyone ever had one of those? I have. Uh, yeah, I had one of those when I was 12 years old, and it was like really intense, and that's a story for another time. But, um, but here's, here's how we sometimes think about evangelism. We think, if I come armed with enough facts, I can win them over. I can convince them that my way is right, that Jesus is right, and they're going to believe Jesus. And we focus on the mind and facts, and we focus on persuasion. And while that has a place, I want to read you something from the book of Ezekiel. The work of conversion in a person is not just a change of mind, it's a change of heart and spirit. Hear that again, it's not just a change of mind, it's a change of heart and spirit. Ezekiel 36 says this, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take you out of these countries, I'm going to gather you from all over and bring you back to your own land. I'll pour pure water over you and scrub you clean. I'll give you a new heart, put a new spirit in you. I'll remove the stone heart from your body and replace it with a heart that's God-willed, not self-willed. I'll put my spirit in you and make it possible for you to do what I tell you and live by my commands. You'll once again live in the land I gave your ancestors. You'll be my people and I will be your God. That is awesome. That is a beautiful picture of what God does when he pursues us with his gospel. I will put my spirit in you, and I will make it possible for you to do what I tell you and live by my commands. That is a beautiful picture of the gospel. This is what it's like to not just have a change of mind, but to be born again. 
not just a change of mind, but a change of everything. See, evangelism is not just asking people to place the gospel on a cluttered shelf of things they believe and make time for. Okay, that's important. Um, a lot of times in life I thought um, the gospel was just a thing to put on the shelf of my life. You know, here I had family, career, I had all these other things I believe in, and I just take Jesus and put him on that shelf as well. And I affirm that with my mind, I believe it, and I make time for it. That's not what Ezekiel's talking about. That's not what the text talks about. It's about pursuing people and showing them, showing thirsty people where living water is, okay? Living water and seeing the core of their lives radically changed. This is why, as it says in 2 Timothy, we should be prepared to preach the word in season and out of season, to correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. We do this so we can see God move people from death to life through the power of his spirit, not just in their minds, but in every part of their being. We do this because God so loved us. We must have a prayerful pursuit of people, fervently teaching, diligently planting seeds for spiritual renewal. So you see, some, some plant seeds, some water, but it's God that makes things grow, amen? It's God that makes things grow. It's the Spirit who draws because He loved us first. So that's our second point. When we talk about evangelism, we're talking about God renewing someone's heart and soul, taking a stone heart and replacing it with one that's made of flesh. And the last point where we're going to land is that mission is the natural overflow of being a gospel-centered church. That was one thing I mentioned at the beginning, and if there's one point you can get from this message and from this series, it's that mission is the natural overflow of being a gospel-centered church. I want to read a, a text of scripture from Psalms. It says, Psalm 105, it says, Give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done. It's a call to the church. Tim Keller says this in his book, Center Church. He says, God directs his people not simply to worship, but to sing his praises before the nations. We are called not simply to communicate the gospel to non-believers, we must also intentionally celebrate the gospel before them. That's a whole life activity. If God has filled us with his love, we must love others. We see that in our text. We see this throughout scripture. Love God, love others as yourself. You will be known as my disciples by your love. If you love God, you will love your brother, love your neighbor. The beautiful thing about love your neighbor is that when Jesus says that to the Pharisees, and he says, who is my neighbor? He tells them the most beautiful, just piercing story about who their neighbor is. And it's hard for us to really identify with that, with the story of the, of the good Samaritan, because um, I don't think many of us really know what a Samaritan is probably, or that really doesn't enter into our daily lives. But when Jesus is talking about radical love, when he's talking about love that comes from him, that's sourced in him, that loves your neighbor, he's talking about people that we have a hard time loving or that we look down upon. That's what it means to love. Scripture says, if you love people who love you, I shared this with the students a few weeks ago, if you love people who love you, great. 
Even your tax collectors do that. That's another term that doesn't really communicate to us because I don't know if anyone is really angry. Maybe some people are at their tax collectors. That is, it is March. But um, that's a hard thing to communicate. Yeah, Matt is. We talked about that this week. But um, the truth is, is that he calls us to love people that are unlovable. And the only way we can do that is through overflow of the gospel in our own lives. So here's the thing. If we believe in the centrality of the gospel, then that belief must lead us to action based on the necessity of the mission. Okay? Let's hear that again. If we believe in the centrality of the gospel, then that belief must lead us to action based on the necessity of the mission. So the mission of the gospel is big. We say that almost every Sunday. It is big. And it, sometimes that can lead us to think of, for me, it sometimes leads me to think of Haiti, leads me to think of Nepal, of India, of these places where there is such a huge need of the gospel. And there are so many things that are happening. But it also, it also means fear. Um, this past uh, month, or this two, couple weeks ago, we had our first Love Jonesboro Thursday. And we went down to the hub who are on the front lines of meeting brokenness in our city with the gospel. And one thing that God impressed on me in that time was that there is a huge need not a mile from this room. Okay? There is a huge gospel need everywhere around us in our city. Uh, no matter where you work, if you work at A-State, if you work at NEA, if you work at Hydro, if you work in this building like I do, there is a huge need for the gospel. There are people around us every day who have nothing to pour, no living water to pour on the dry ground of their lives, who need regeneration, they have hearts of stone. The need is big and the need is here. The mission is big. That mission has to be an overflow of being a gospel-centered church. We can't just sit back and think, this is Jonesboro, this is Christian territory, this is safe, this is a safe zone. Like if we're in a war, this is, this is our territory. There is no Christian territory. The gospel is needed here just as much as it's needed anywhere else in the world. We have to believe that. God leads us to believe that. Our city needs Jesus. The struggles are different in other places, but our city needs Jesus. So many times I think of 2 Timothy 3 where it talks about um, in the last days people having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. And I feel that God, God's leading us to meet that with the gospel in our city. That that's, that's a truth that you find in our city. You find people that are bound by religion and bound by moralism but have never met Jesus. So our prayer is that our church would be like those who took the paralytic to Jesus. So when they, in that story in the Bible, when the men, those men took the paralytic to Jesus, they couldn't get him through the front door, so they climbed up on the roof and they broke a hole in the roof and they lowered him down to Jesus. And whenever I'm hearing that story, I first heard that story when I was a kid, but if, as I'm working through the text and, and reading that as an adult, like, the thing that never comes to mind for me is, did they have to pay for that roof? <laughs> like, like, but for real, like, I never think about the practical things, but they probably did have to pay for that roof. Like, that was probably a costly decision for them. <laughs> like, like, at the end of that, like, I imagine, like, at the end of that, you know, Jesus leaves, the paralytic flees, all the crowds disperse. Then there's just those four guys and the homeowner. And the homeowner is like, so who's going to fix my roof? <laughs> um, 
but the point is, is that they took risks. They paid a cost to bring someone to Jesus. They didn't invite the paralytic to Jesus. They didn't say, hey, paralytic, there's Jesus over there. Why don't you come over to Jesus? They went down, they picked him up, and they cut through a roof to get him to Jesus. That kind of love doesn't happen just out of nowhere. We have to go back to the first point. We have to go back to that love. It's because they witnessed something. They witnessed Jesus. They witnessed good news when they'd never known good news. They witnessed the Messiah when they'd been waiting for the Messiah. And that good news filled up their cup so much that when they were on the road, they saw a man who needed that, and they said, we have to do whatever it takes to get him to Jesus. Whatever it takes. Breaking down a roof, let's do it. We're going to get him to Jesus. That kind of love is what, what God is calling us to as a church. That we need to break some cultural rules to see people meet Jesus. We need to pay some cultural costs to see people meet Jesus. And we're going to talk for the rest of our time about some practical ways to do that. But one really important point is as we look toward Easter, as we spend time with Jesus, as we have our cups filled up with his love, I think an important thing from our text, an important thing especially from um, the story of the paralytic is that God's calling us to bring people, to literally spend cultural, financial time costs to bring people to Jesus. Not just to bring people into this building, not just to bring people on Sunday morning, although that, that's what it looks like, but that's not what saves them, but to bring people to Jesus, to the cup that never runs dry, to the good news for people's lives. So to close, I want to give us very specific takeaways, very specific, practical takeaways from this morning that um, just prayed over. And the first one is this, um, to apply this text, to apply this message, to um, just to prayerfully pursue people as we look forward to Easter. As Quentin said, that's, a, that's the, one of the biggest open doors we're going to have. The first takeaway is this, spend time with Jesus. If you're listening to this message and you feel empty, or you feel weary, you feel like, I just don't have the drive to do that, spend time with Jesus. Like, take time out of your routine. Read his word. Pray. We talked about this so much. Go through the Pathway series. Look at our prayer exercises on the website. These things will help you focus your time to spend time with Jesus. There's good news for you. The good news has to be good for you before you can make it good to anyone else. Spend time with Jesus. Ask him to give you a desire and a love for your city, for those who don't know him. He is the source of love. If we jump out into the world and share facts about Jesus because we have a sense of duty or earning, that's what we'll be sharing. We'll be sharing duty and earning. We won't be sharing Jesus. So spend time with Jesus. He will overflow into other people's lives. Number two, this is very practical. Um, Easter coming up, Easter gathering. Um, we want this room, this physical room here to grow. We want our gospel communities to grow. We don't want them to grow because um, of our brand or of our name as a, as a church, Little C, but we want them to grow because our city needs Jesus. 
And we have to stop, personally, this is something that God's told me, is like, stop being ashamed of that. Like, we want people to be here on Sunday morning because we want people to hear the gospel. We want people to go to our gospel meetings because we want them to hear the gospel. That is something that is undeniably something that we are called to do. We are commanded to do. And a lot of times, we, I, I myself in the past have shirked away from that because I feel like I can, there's no way I can possibly do that. I'm ashamed. I don't do that enough. There's, there's so much duty and fear I feel. But that's because I'm looking solely at the command. I'm not staring at the declaration that God has given his spirit to do the work. And his spirit is much better at bringing people to Jesus than I am. His spirit is much better at healing brokenness than you are. His spirit is perfect at all of these things. And God, through Jesus, has given us unlimited access to his spirit. So when we talk about bringing people, Easter is a good opportunity. Being straight with you, practically, it's a great opportunity. There are people who will come on Easter morning that will never come around the people of God any other time. So I encourage you, not just to invite people to Easter, but to join in. And that means cost. That means instead of just inviting people, saying, hey, you should come, saying, hey, I want to take you. Say, instead of saying, hey, like, um, you should come to this thing and saying, um, I'll drive you there. I'll bring you there. Why don't you come have dinner with us the night before, and then we'll go together. And, and you might think, oh, people, people don't want that. People are desperate for that. There are so many statistics that show that if people were invited to church, they would go. Like, seriously, Barna has gone and asked people, listen, like, how many of you, if you were invited to church, you would go? And like 80% of people say yes. Okay, that's cold, hard numbers that say people want Jesus. They want something. They may come here just thinking like, I'm going to come have some fun, hang out with some friends. But then the Holy Spirit speaks to their lives and God changes them. What we see in Ezekiel happens and he turns their heart from stone to flesh. That's what we want. That's what we believe in. We believe God can do it. So not just invite people, but bring people. Easter gatherings are a good practical way to do that. And finally, I think this is important, uh, the final practical step is to fail forward. Um, one thing um, Chad said this to me when I first came here, but just talking about um, believing in things and, and moving forward, and and one of those things is to is just to, to try things, to do things. Like my attitude, a lot of times is like I have to have everything right before I can I can try something, before I can do something. But that's putting a lot of faith in me. That's putting faith in my ability to have everything under control, and I like control, <laughs> but. The truth is, is that God's the only one that's really in control. And he's calling us to let go of our control and just to step forward in faith. To step forward. To love people. To step out into our city. To step out of our comfort zone. And that could look like crossing the street. That could look like crossing the bleachers. A lot of you are in bleachers a lot. Because a lot of y'all kids are killing it doing sports. Like, I'm looking at the Instagram. This, this, the Instagram. It's like an old person. Like, I'm looking, at the, I'm looking at the Instagram, but um, I was looking at Instagram um, this past week, and I'm just seeing person after, thank you, Barb, I'm seeing person after person who are just killing it in sports. And I'm thinking, every time I see that, I'm thinking, there's so many of you guys who are sitting in bleachers next to parents who desperately need Jesus. So it may mean crossing those bleachers. 
It may mean crossing the tracks. It may mean going to places in our city that you don't normally go to. It may mean walking through places in our city you don't normally walk through and pray. Um, that's something that um, just feel God's calling our gospel community to do. Um, and uh, I don't know who, uh, just one thing I want to share with you. I don't know who actually said this. It may have been Craig Rochelle, but let's see I heard it from. But he uh, said this, and I think it's good, is that to reach people no one is reaching, we have to do things no one else is doing. That's a very practical thing, and it doesn't matter what we do as long as we don't have Jesus as the thing we're offering. But the truth is, is that we need to realize there are people in our city who are not being reached. And God is calling us to reach them. And some of you have unique giftings, unique places that you have been placed that God can use. So I encourage you, the final application is that um, we're just going to have a time of prayer to pray and to take communion together. And as we pray, I just encourage you to silence, just try to, try to not think about lunch, try to not think about the rest of the day, because that's easy for me to do. I'm, I'm not going to lie. It's so easy during these last times, you know, when we're taking communion, just to be thinking about what's going on next. Um, so I encourage you, try to, try to hold that at bay. Try to silence your soul and just to ask God, where are you leading me? Where are you leading my family? What does that look like practically? What's a first step that you're asking me to take? I may not have all the control. I may not know exactly how it's going to go, but what's a first step you're asking me to take? So to close, just remind you of the takeaways that in order to have something to share, we have to witness good news to say. We have to spend time with Jesus. Practically a great time to bring people, not just invite them, is Easter gatherings, April 21st. And I encourage you to sail forward. Don't be afraid because God, God declares his power and his mercy and his perfection over your life because of Jesus. You are co-heirs with Christ. The question we should be asking is, what would I do if I didn't feel the fear I feel, to, feel today? What would I do if I felt, if everything was under control and I could then do it? That's what God's calling you to do right now. So we're going to have a time of prayer. Uh, the band can go ahead and come up. Um, we're going to have a time of prayer and communion. And I just once again encourage you to silence your souls and ask God, where are you leading me? Maybe God, maybe the, the practical step for you is just to spend time with Jesus. If you don't feel that desire, spend time with Jesus. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you that you are the restorer of souls. You take hearts of stone and turn them into hearts of flesh. Thank you that you empower us to share your gospel to our city and to the nations. Father, thank you that you have planned greater things for us to see. Father, I just pray for, um, for our church and for the city. I pray that you would um, just fill people in this room with your spirit in a great way that you would lead people Lead them with your love as we've sung so many weeks. You lead us with your love to those around us. That we would build our lives on the foundation of your love for us. That you loved first. And that would lead us to love those around us, Father. I pray for people in this room who you are calling to step out. To take first steps. Father, I pray that they would take them this week. Father, lead us to do that. Because you love us, you have our backs, you have everything under control. Father, lead us to take big risks. Lead us to, take, to pay big costs 
to bring people to Jesus, to cut holes in the roof, to lower people down, to bring them to Jesus. Father, we ask this in your name. Amen. So we're just going to have a time of communion, and practically what that looks like is the front half of the room, if you want to go to these front two tables and the back half, go to the back two tables and just go tear off a piece of the bread and dip it in the juice. And, and we do this because this is a symbol of Christ's body and his blood poured out for us. This is the reason when we talk about sharing our faith, this is the power behind that. This is the reason we can do that in confidence and boldness, because Christ paid the cost. So as we do that, I just encourage you just to be in an attitude of prayer and pray and ask God where to receive leading. Let's take communion together.